What's up, Internet? You're tuned in episode 78 of the Flip Screen Games Podcast, a weekly video game podcast where a bunch of best buds from different nations come together to discuss the wide, wide world of video games. I'm your host, Pete and Bessie, joined as always by very good friends and co-hosts, Mr. Stephen Radford. Hello, hello. And Mr. Max Wright. Ahoy, ahoy. Hello again, boys. We've got a fat episode this week. We're going to be talking about the news that apparently Xbox Game Pass is cannibalizing game cells in direct contradiction to something we've been told in the past. And, of course, PSVR 2 has hit store shelves. People are talking about it. But is it going to be successful? And finally, Steve is going to give us a little bit of uh, his commentary on Hitman's new freelancer slash world of assassination mode. So we got a lot to talk about here. Let's kick things off with a little bit of Xbox conversation because I feel like it's a good follow up to our show from last week. Yeah, yeah. So it's like it's an interesting story from games industry, right? Where, um... I I mean I know that in the past Phil Spencer said that games Game Pass hasn't cannibalized sales. That was like an old article from 2018, and we saw this week that the they've told the UK CMA that it's the exact opposite to that, and it is cannibalizing game sales. Um, like what do you what do you think of it, Max? So I think that when I, I remember the original quote coming out, and I remember the conversation being like, oh, you know, people are people are playing games on Game Pass and they're buying them or, or, you know, it's getting the conversation going, which is literally what he says here. He says that p- p- games find things play based on what everyone else is playing and that people playing these games forces them to go and buy it. Um, I <laughs> yeah. Feel like yeah, that I've... art feels like a blast from the past, though, because he goes on to say, what's number one on Mixer? What's number one on Twitch? <laughs> and I'm just like, remember the Mixer? <laughs> like that just shows how old that article was. It, yeah, it's just it's it's what's that five years I guess now. Yeah, but um, I I think it makes more sense that it cannibalizes sales because because that's just the very nature of Game Pass. But also, I, I also feel like I don't know if there's a bit of context that's missing here. But does Xbox care as much about game sales when they're talking about um? They're talking about their own games, or they're, they're sort of trying. You know, that's really they're factored in to the development costs, or they're factored into what they're paying these developers. The the fact that all of the money they're going to make from it, if it's on Game Pass, is for subscribers, and these games are designed to be bringing subscribers in, right? Surely that is is factored in. So I don't know if this is necessarily a, a a negative for them because, yeah, like that sort of makes perfect sense. And I was more surprised by the original 2018 quote of people are buying people are still buying games when they're on game pass because that makes no sense right um why surely people would be buying game pass well, i think it goes to, i think it, it's kind of um it just goes to show how the market's changed in that five years because i believe the initial quote i don't think phil would have lied to the press back then and said that it it, it increases sales um I think the market's changed and shifted, and people are now subscribe to Game Pass. They see it as essential to owning an Xbox. Whereas back in 2018, I think that was the year I got my Xbox. It was Game Pass was fairly new. Um, I can't remember when it launched, but they put Forza Horizon 4 on on Game Pass, and I think the 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 strategy for them has changed to subscriptions. Yeah, 100. percent But also selling DLC because I think what people a lot of people don't realize is that. You get the base game on Game Pass, but all of the DLC you have to buy. 
So Forza Horizon 4 is a great example because you buy the, the base game or play the base game on um, Game Pass, but then they will get sales of like the Hot Wheels expansion or the Treasure Island expansion or microtransactions so you can buy specific vehicles or skins, those kind of things. And that's, that is driving sales. So whether Phil was talking about sales of the games, which it seems like he was because he references uh, looking at the MPD charts of State of Decay 2, for example, back in 2018, um, I think back then it probably wasn't really affecting sales as much. Now it is pretty clear that it is, and I think the reason is is obvious. As they they said to the the CMA that um, their internal internal analysis showed a redacted percent decline in base game sales twelve months following their addition to, on Game Pass, and I would imagine that also accounts for third party games as well as first party. Yeah, which I think is the interesting wrinkle there, right? Is like I I bet Xbox was not happy about saying this. Because you got to imagine that that is uh, not a big, or that is a big uh, disincentive for you to put your game on Game Pass unless it is, you know, already a certain amount of time old, because it is going to to cannibalize your ability to to get sales. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely agree with you, Steve. I think that probably the initial statement in 2018 um, was true at the time because Xbox was, or um, Game Pass is what I should say. Uh, was in its infancy at that point, right? Like game, uh, you you said you weren't sure when it launched. Game Pass launched in 2017, so in 2018 it had right, only yeah. been around for about a year, and the library of what was available there was a lot different than what it looks like now, right? And I think um, to the point that you made earlier, Steve, I think that there are a lot of people who now do look at their Xbox as a Game Pass machine, and that like Game Pass is. Uh, inseparable from xbox right in a way that um i don't think it was in 2018 it was still uh it was not a proven factor right and it was something that i think seemed like a gamble to a lot of people whereas now you know we look at it and it's like that is xbox that is the future of of the the brand right is game pass more than anything um so yeah i I definitely think that um that that's probably the case but it is interesting i guess because you the fact that that they uh redacted the percentage is something that makes me think it is very high yeah um and that that you all figures are redacted by the cma so the cma will redact any will redact any information they deem to be market sensitive when they publish their reports there was stuff about the exact number of subscribers for playstation plus as well that when Mm. sony put their statement in they also got redacted so it could be a pretty small number it could be a really high number i would imagine it's probably pretty high though you would think right but but i don't know I, i guess it's interesting because for some games you got to imagine it, it's it's got to have a it's going to have a bigger impact than others right you know like obviously when it comes to like the third party stuff um for an indie game i imagine that that stings a lot less right like if you can um get a game out have it have its initial wave and then get it up on game pass and um you know that there there are a lot of stories about people making deals like that that like cover the entire cost of development or highly offset the cost of development um for a game that might not get made otherwise right and like i think in that scenario you can see how it's it's a beneficial system um for you know games like something like pentiment right which like 
um, was kind of, it's kind of a niche game and, and a project that like Obsidian might not have been able to get published at, at uh, otherwise, right? If they weren't owned by Xbox and didn't have um, the ability to put that out as like a, a game that'll be a critical darling and a bunch of people will check it out on Game Pass, but it was never going to be a, a, you know, a top seller. Yeah, we spoke also about Hi-Fi Rush, right? And how that, and I think we probably will do an episode all about shadow dropping. We, I think we spoke about that on um, Nintendo Noise in comparison with Metroid and how they shadow dropped. The The difference is obviously Metroid was a, a known entity. Hi-Fi Rush was a brand new IP, brand new game, completely um, like off track from previous games that that developer had put out and did really well. And I can imagine that that was driven in somewhat by Game Pass, right? All of those streamers downloading the game straight away after the presentation ended, getting on Twitch, showing the game off, showing how good it was. Other people download it, and it also drives PC sales. Which was so the interesting thing, probably thing is right? Because that became like a, a, a top seller on, on the Steam charts, which I think that's probably yeah. an example of a, of a game that probably did have sales propelled by Game Pass. Um, but then again, I, I think you probably look at something like, like how many people actually bought a copy of like Halo, right? Or like Forza? You know, um, probably a really small but I number. I always, always buy the Forza expansion passes, and they're usually about thirty pounds, so it's like sure. half the cost of a full box game. And and they're also getting my Game Pass subs, right? So they're probably up on the deal from from me on in that. Yeah, and I can't imagine I'm I'm alone. And I think there's probably a couple examples where that holds true. And like my, my anecdotal example for that is last year, um, I talked a lot about how I, I replayed uh, Dragon Age Origins and Dragon Age Two on my Xbox on Game Pass. And uh, I bought the DLC for those games again, you know, and like I bought like a what like when did Dragon Age two come out? Two thousand nine, ten, maybe. And I yeah, bought it's a long, it's the Xbox three sixty game, right? Yeah, and I bought like a twenty dollar piece of DLC for that old, old, old ass game, you know. Um, and you know, I think there's there's something to be said for that, right? Where there probably are sales. Um, of DLC that come through for games that people might not have even ever touched, right? So obviously you're getting their subscription dollar, but if you can give them games that are so attractive that they do want to check out the DLC, um, you know, I'm sure that 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 definitely plays a factor there as well. Yeah, another thing that was interesting from the the game uh, the the gamesindustry.biz article was uh, because they dug fully into the CMA report and obviously pulled out some choice quotes. Um, was about how Activision took a real dim view on it as well and saying that Microsoft cited them as saying uh, it severely cannibalizes B2P sales, which is buy-to-play, particularly in the case of newer releases, which is why they've never put their titles on these uh, multi-game subscription services on any platform. So they're not on PlayStation Plus and they're not on Game Pass. Interesting that EA does that. Uh, considering EA and Activision are sort of like when you talk about greed, they yeah, sort of sit in the same. EA sort of is space, kind of different they? though because it's like EA Play is bolstered onto Game Pass Ultimate, and it looks like Ubisoft Plus is going to be bolstered onto Game Pass Ultimate in the same way that it's on the top tier of PlayStation Plus. I could see, I could have seen Activision doing their own uh, and like maybe incorporating it, BattleNet into it, and or you know get, doing like a few tiers. So you may, maybe you get a World of Warcraft subscription put in, and you get like all of the Call of Duty games, that kind of thing. I could have seen them doing it at some point. 
obviously they've gone down the um, the acquisition route with with Microsoft, mm-hmm. so I think that's off the table. But it would be great to see. Uh, it would have been great to see like some actual competition um, to to Game Pass, and I think that's probably what the CMA is most concerned about. Was what we spoke about. I think it was on last week's show when they said that Microsoft's going to have like a, a stronghold on all of the cloud streaming stuff, and they absolutely do. But they they also have a, a stronghold on really this this multi-game subscription service as a as a whole because i don't think playstation plus comes comes anywhere close really um it doesn't have new titles on there it's always delayed releases it's never kind of day and date stuff so they don't ever have to worry about sales being cannibalized god of war if god of war ragnarok had come to playstation plus i think a lot of people just wouldn't have bought oh, yeah. the game they would have just played it from that on there instead yeah, i would have got and- the year's worth and, and done that and, and today uh sorry P, today they even announced that Horizon, or it, maybe it leaked. Horizon Forbidden West is going to be on the sort of the, the upper. I think it's the second. But I'd imagine the DLC tiers. won't be right. So like, exactly. it's a good way for them to sell you the DLC. Yeah, that's that's what I was about to say. Is like um, th- you're seeing Sony do this now, and I think this is kind of a test bed for it. Right? Is like okay, maybe we bring it to our service a year after it's already existed, so that all the folks that you know cared about buying it day and date and being in on the conversation. Um, get in at that initial price point of $70. And then now when, you know, probably a majority of the sales are going to be people buying it on sale for under the, the full price. Now, maybe you put it on your streaming service and sweeten up the deal and try to make those higher tiers more attractive to folks who haven't already upgraded. But, you know, I, I think it's interesting, right? You talked about the the competition issue. Um, I mean, I, I don't, I think there's a reason that Xbox has a stranglehold, right? Like anybody who has a legitimate, um, you know, I, I don't even want to say competitor, right? Because I don't really think the EA uh, service or any of those things are really legitimate Xbox competitors. They're just kind of like, you know, um, they're they're more limited in scope, right? But like they're comparable in price. And I think that's mm-hmm. a big problem is that there isn't a single one of these services that offers the level of depth that Game Pass offers, um, or the level of value, right? Because like, why would I pay for an EA subscription when I could get a Game Pass subscription and get that bundled in, right? And then and then also in, yeah. get everything else that comes with with Game Pass proper. Um, yeah, and I, and I I I don't you know I think an Activision or whomever, right? Like even if they were to have tried to go down that road prior to the acquisition, um, it's just it's just. I don't really see anybody who can compete with them on that level, save for maybe like a Steam or, or something like that, if they can make enough partnerships where they could offer um, a library that had the level of, you know, not just um, quantity that Game Pass offers, right? But like, you know, some of like whatever genre you're into, some of the best games of all time in that genre are available the second you pl- you plunk down your 15 bucks, you know? Yep. So I just checked, and EA Play is about three ninety nine a month for the base plan, and obviously that's included with Game Pass. I would love to know, and I don't think we ever will, the the breakdown in how many people get it just because they subscribe to Game Pass Ultimate versus how many people actively subscribe to EA Play. Uh, and I can imagine most people probably just get it for free and just take advantage of the games that are included on it. Um, and it's it's a pretty good deal if you if you have Game Pass Ultimate and there are some EA games you want, but it also gives you like a bunch of other 
other little benefits so you can play the games 10 hours early or something like that you can play you get like a demo of like games for a fixed period of time which is what playstation was doing on their playstation plus service but i don't i think you're right nothing comes anywhere close to game pass which is why the sales are cannibalized by them because even ea play don't put their games on there day and day it's right. if you, you you get them at a discount if you subscribe to ea play in the same way that you get them a, get you can buy games at a discount if you subscribe to game pass or xbox live gold but you, you don't get to just download the game and play it you also get with ea play something which i think is quite unique you get like the first 10 hours free for some games right which is a, a, a reason to buy it um and i think like yeah that that's sort of a bonus for having ea play maybe over something else like that Sure, but right, but I, I think Steve's probably right about the breakdown because I mean, even at what you said it was like three or four dollars a month, like I mean, that's that's a that's about half what it costs to get into Game Pass for most of the years that it's existed, yeah. right? Um, let alone if you're one of the people uh, who like took advantage of one of those, like, oh, you get in for a dollar and you can get your first couple months for a buck a month, and you know, um, it it becomes I think an, people an insane uh, value prop. I think there are people who, uh, a friend of mine, there was a, I think it was a glitch or something when, I think it was when Game Pass Ultimate was first announced at E3, and I think he paid a, a pound, and he got like something like two years or something, like he got something rid- no, yeah, ridiculous. Yeah, no, Pete did gear. the same thing, like stacked up all the things that's only yeah. just run out, right? Yeah, I uh, I bought, I think it was two years worth of Games with Gold when it was on sale for like a Black Friday mm-hmm. thing or something like that. And then I spun it into Game Pass, and I think all yeah, altogether nice. it cost me like, I think it was maybe like, I don't know, it was maybe like seventy bucks between buying them and then doing the transfer and everything. And I had Game Pass for like three years, and That's I think I did that in twenty eighteen, twenty nineteen. Like it was, yeah, maybe twenty nineteen, early twenty nineteen, something like that. Um, you earned that personally. I mean, it was great. Like I literally it just ran out in January of this year. I think it, I think it was when I the first time I paid for Game Pass since I got it, um, which was just what a ridiculous value for me for the last oh, yeah. couple of years. It paid for itself probably ten times over, and I don't think that's an exaggeration. Um, so just to put a pin on this, uh, in response to the news, right, Eurogamer reached out uh, to Microsoft um, for kind of their comment on on this whole thing and kind of um, what to get an understanding of like what had changed, right? Um, and then this was the, the response that Eurogamer received from uh, one of Xbox's spokespeople. Uh, Xbox Game Pass offers gamers and game creators more choice and opportunity in how they discover, experience, and deliver games. For gamers, that means providing another option for them to discover games and play with friends at a great value. For developers, that means creating another option for how they monetize their games. We're focused on helping game creators of all sizes maximize the total financial value they receive through Game Pass. Each game is unique, so we work closely with creators to build a custom program to reflect what they need, ensure they are compensated financially for their participation in the service, and allow room for creativity and innovation. As a result, the number of developers interested in working with Game Pass continues to grow. And obviously, that's a it's a very PR answer. It's a little word salady, right? Um, it's not really addressing the question. But I also think that there is a lot of truth to what's being said here. Um, there was an article uh, that I remember seeing making the rounds like shortly after this news came out. Where there, I forget the name of the the studio. Maybe one of you can find it, but. 
I was an indie studio who basically said that their plan is for every game they make to go on Game Pass because it's been a viable model for them. Um, and I think like we talked about, there are games like Pentiment, there are, you know, um, games like Hi-Fi Rush that probably don't get made at those studios if they aren't directly tied to being like, this can be the game of the moment on Game Pass for a month and that will be enough to to warrant its creation, right? And and pay for it. Um, so I think that, that like there probably is some truth to that and the idea that like it does allow for room for creativity and, and innovation, especially among bigger studios where like smaller projects are probably a risk for them. Um, and I, I think there are a number of developers who look at Game Pass favorably and do look at it as as something that's, you know, um, been a good return for them financially. So I'm I'm sure that, you know, I'm sure there is a lot of truth in that, even if it's also true that it cannibalizes game sales and that it is um, going to significantly limit how much your game sells once it is on the platform. Mm-hmm. For, smaller, studio, for smaller games, though, I think um, it's it's such a good discovery tool. Yeah. Just being able to to have the tweet go out that these are the games coming to Game Pass this month. These are the games that are new to Game Pass that you can just download right now when you open up your Xbox library and you go there. It's it's really good to be able to to see that. And like I did a quick bit of Google. I know you've got the the studio in particular, Max, but it looks like they've paid like two point two billion dollars in royalties as of last year to indie studios. That's impressive. Yeah, the studio that is on there is um it's No More Robots. Uh, they made Not Tonight, they made uh, Hidden Space Outlaw, I know that Steve uh, enjoyed that one, um, and they've released Yes, Your Great Family Man, Descenders, just a couple of, you know, quite quite a few games out. I'm, I'm interested, I'd be interested to know how many of these are actually on Game Pass. I think I actually met the met the head of the studio once at EGX, uh, we played Not Tonight. Uh, so yeah. Yeah, they, they've got this new game coming out that's like Doom, but set in the... Uh... Set in the same universe as Hypnospace. Oh, oh really? I'm really excited about that one. That's cool. Yeah, it looks really, it's really cool. It was on, I played it on Steam Next Fest in Ju- last June, I think. Um, I, I'm so excited about that game. It's really cool. Interesting. Very nice. So yeah, I mean, I think I think the um, <laughs> it's definitely interesting, right? It's an interesting headline, but I think that uh, ultimately how valuable your game being on game pass is and how much it like hurts your bottom line, I think really is such a studio dependent thing and like what your business model is and what your metrics for success are. Um, that, you know, I mean, hopefully, uh, hopefully that remains the case, you know, because that's the thing that Steve and I have talked about a lot on this show over the, the year and change or whatever, um, that you want game pass to be something that leads to innovation and opportunity, not that, you know, um, make certain kinds of games harder to get made or harder to monetize, right? Um, and so far, I think that that's probably proven true. All right, so before we get into our PSVR 2 conversation, let me remind you that this episode of the Flip Screen Games podcast is brought to you by our Patreon producers for the month of February. They are, of course, Anthony Gonzalez, Christian Oliveria, Christopher Valenz, Earth Visitor, Gabriel Hasselmeyer, a.k.a. Sobe, Mary Berry, Ty the Dude, Wakahula, and Zaid Ida. 
Thank you all so much for your support over on patreon.com slash flipscreengames. Y'all are the reals to the real, and we greatly appreciate your support of this and all of our sister shows. Remember, if you want to become a Patreon producer just like they did, you can head over to patreon.com slash flipscreengames and get all kinds of good perks and goodies, including listening to this episode of the show early before everybody else. If you want to go and show your support, guess what? There's a bunch of ways you can do it. Head over to flipscreen.games. You'll find links to the Patreon, the Discord, the email address. However you want to get involved, we appreciate you tuning in to this week's episode of the Flipscreen Games podcast. So let's jump in to the Sony side of the conversation this week because PSVR 2 is imminent. It'll be out in just a few days and the embargo has lifted and a lot of uh, early reviews are, are, are pretty positive. You know, I, I think broadly, it seems like people are, are into the tech um, and are pretty high on what they're seeing. But I think it's going to still be an interesting one because you got to imagine, right? Like all these people are reviewing the product for what it is, but I think it's the market context that threatens PSVR 2 more than the actual tech itself because I think the technology seems like it's there. I, I guess the question is, is the lineup there and is the current you know market around PSVR 2 while we're heading into a recession, while people have less money to spend, while people maybe already own a VR headset that they're using daily, um, is there space for it right now? I guess that's the question. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think... Um, like, as someone who, who owns a VR headset and has played sort of standalone VR... Um, and has paid a lot less for this. I, I do feel like that. I mean, pretty pretty much. I echo a lot of these reviews in that. Yeah, the tech is very impressive. And it looks like sort of a very high quality headset. But a lot of the games that they're sort of advertising, a lot of the games people are talking about that aren't the sort of the two big exclusives. I think that's uh, uh, Horizon Call the Mountain, and then you've Horizon. got um, Gran Turismo Seven. Yeah, so those are the two games that are sort of like the big selling points. But a lot of people that I know are very excited for this are sort of anytime a studio says, oh, we're released the game's coming to PSVR 2, they're like, oh, you know, cool, I can't wait to play this game. And that's a game that's been available on the Quest or on Steam VR for a couple of years now. So uh, I wonder if if that's, you know, if that's enough for some people, especially considering a lot of the PSVR 1 libraries, uh, I mean, all of the, the entire PS1 VR library isn't, you know, compatible. You have to rebuy those games, which I think is a huge shame as well. Um, it's that, it, honestly, it's outrageous that that's the, that's the, progression route i don't know why i'm surprised because that was their recommendation for a lot of if you wanted a ps5 version of the last gen game you have to rebuy the game mm -hmm. or pay for it pay an upgrade fee it just feels a little bit more egregious in this time around because i'm spending 600 dollars on a headset i kind of want to be able to play tetris effect in vr and i don't think there's any reason why that game shouldn't be playable in PSVR 2. It's not like it's doing anything intense. Yeah. It's Tetris, but I've got to pay for it again. You've I also think, got to, um, you've got to upgrade your PS4 version to be able to... to yeah. yeah, you've got to buy the PS5 yeah. version of that yeah. game, yeah. I think it makes sense, though. That I think that's the problem. Like, I, I think, you know... Um, like, I, I don't agree that it's egregious. Like, I think it probably feels that way to consumers, and, like, I was certainly, like, would echo that sentiment if I was moving from PSVR 1 to PSVR 2 and being like, my library doesn't come with me. Like, I think that's a huge ding against it. That said, I think it makes sense why that's the case, right? Like, all of the PSVR 1 titles 
are built on the back of technology that the PS5 no longer supports, right? Um, the PS, the DualSense does not have the light to bar some extent, that was yeah, required. But they, and a lot it, of these games are on other platforms. Yeah, but that's not the same thing, right? Like that's that's like a, that's an unreasonable expectation. So you're saying that it's then on the developers to make a new version of the game that supports the new hardware that comes with the PS5 and to give that game out for free. And that's I think, I think someone like Meta, who owns Beat Saber, should be doing that, personally. Yeah. I don't think I that mean, they should be charging for another version of Beat Saber. Was Beat Saber on the PSVR 1? Yes. It was, yeah. It, it was, was one of the big game on that platform. Yeah, yeah, for a long time. I um, feel like... Oh, yeah, because then, then they bought it. I feel like um, it's one of those things where if they expect if they're expecting PSVR two to be the better newer product, I feel like these developers that have already had their game supported by people on PSVR one that are now putting the game on PSVR two, if they're making these new versions, um, Sony is expecting this to be the big the bigger VR headset. I know that PSVR one was quite successful. I think it sold like a million, which at the time was like the best selling VR products. They're obviously positioning this to be better. You always want to be better, right? You always want to sell more. So they're expecting a lot of new people into VR. So would you not, people that have already supported you, would you not just take that hit on saying, okay, you can all have the new version of the game? Because they do, they do it for like, um, you know, next-gen versions of games. It's not the same. Uh, and I, I think VR is, that's the problem with VR. VR is inherently a niche product. And like you just said, right? PSVR 1 was uh, for a long time the most successful VR headset, right? And it had an install base of less than a ten, uh, less than ten percent of the PlayStation Four, right? Um, it, less than five, right? Like it's it's a a fraction of a fraction of the number of people that had a PS Four bought in on PS VR. So to, yeah, it was like one percent, surely, yeah. right? So like to, it's, it's a tiny slice, and and I can I can. Agree with you that it's you know third parties. Fair enough, it's down to them. It's their choice if they want to make a PS VR two version. It's their route if they want to have the upgrade path and if they want to charge for that. If they feel like they need to charge for that, fair enough. Maybe it's not fair of me to put Meta in their own kind of little hole because I hate them as a company and expect them to pay for it. Uh, but they can do it, it comes right. To, but like a, re- it, a regular developer, like you're already losing money to develop a VR title, right? Nine times out of ten. So, like, the idea that you're going to make a whole second version for a new SKU and give it away for free just because, like, good vibes is, I think, a, a, a really unrealistic and unfair expectation, um, especially when the very nature of, like, even supporting a VR system and, like, trying to make a, a, a big, you know, marquee experience for it is often financially a huge gamble. I'm an unfair yeah, I'm, I'm, I get that. My my point was that um, they should be doing it for their own games. Like Astrobot's Rescue Mission was one of the best games on on PlayStation VR. There's no way to play that on PSVR two. It's a Sony made game. They should be putting the effort in to showcase their own hardware, their own headset, and they should be they should be doing it. And there are a bunch of games getting free. Um, free upgrades. I think uh, Moss was getting a free upgrade. Um, or no, that's actually the one that's being um, being paid. Uh, but there are some that are getting free free upgrades. Um, but some people are saying you've just got to buy the game again, and uh, you, or you can buy them as like a bundle. And you know, I I would imagine that that's based on how hard it is to adapt. 
you know, because yeah, I, absolutely, yeah, because like it's a new controller scheme. It's basically the Oculus Touch controllers now, rather than the the either the Dual Shock Four or the PlayStation Move controllers. Obviously, it's a new API and an SDK for the the headset too. Um, but it's just it's a shame. It's a real shame that so many games are being left behind. It's sure. a real shame that Sony aren't investing the time into their own titles. It feels like at the moment they're kind of sending this thing out to die in the same way that they, they kind of did with the Vita. It's got a lackluster launch lineup with one title. It's a really, really high price. Every review has highlighted that Horizon Call of the Mountains really impressive. But do you really want to spend this much money on a headset for one game? Because that's basically all it is at the moment. And I think a lot of people don't. And they're going to really, really struggle. I think the the Vita comparison is an unfortunately apt one. Um, I am of the opinion that they recognize that this thing is not going to be a success anymore. Um, you know, Max, you said earlier, right? I think like uh, when you release a successor product, right? The expectation is that it's going to be more more successful. Um, I don't think that's the case, uh, and I think they realize that. I think that they began. R&D and, and uh, development on this thing with that in mind, absolutely, and thought that this would be, you know, uh, the next coming of VR and that it would be this product that um, would really catch a lot of people's attention and would be like a great companion to the highly attractive PS5. Um, but I think in the time that they've worked on it, they've realized that like the market has changed. And I think that one of the, the big things that is going to choke VR and uh, and I think really limit its success and maybe even kill it um, as like a, a, a popular consumer product right now is the idea that when technology comes out, right, generally speaking, you have the first wave, right, where it's the new hot new thing, a small number of enthusiasts get into it, and it's a high price point and a fairly low level of, you know, um, like polish, Right. Like it, it's it's going to be a little rougher. It's going to be a little bit more, you know, um, Wild West. Right. It's uncharted territory. And as the quality increases and it gets more consumer friendly, it's also supposed to go down in price. Right. And become more accessible to a larger number of people so that not only is it more accessible because the product is actually better and it works better because the Gen 1 folks, you know, worked out all the kinks. Um, it's also supposed to just be something that you can you know, get because it's no longer this big, huge investment. And VR's trended in the opposite direction, right? Like you had um a really, really great budget option in uh in the 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 MetaQuest, but like, you know, that's went up in price and now it's like I think we're we're either in the same place as we were in a lot of senses, where like the level of investment is similar or it's worse. You know, and I think something that the PSVR had going for it was that when it came out, the PS4 was already a ubiquitous console, right? Most mm -hmm. gamers uh, who are console players had a PS4, whereas the PS5 is still relatively young, right? And it's only now been readily available uh, from most retailers. So I think this is a point Steve's made in the past, right? Where it's not really the same cost of entry as PSVR was because PSVR was a cheap cost of entry if you already owned a PS4, which you probably did, right? Yeah. Whereas or no, you PSVR could... was expensive. Like PSVR was comparable price to this because you ha you got the headset 
and you could have played it with the the dual sense, but you needed to, to buy, buy move the controls. move controllers. That's true. I feel like I feel like this has come at a, 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 an earlier point in the console's lifespan. I'm happy to be proved wrong there, but I feel like this has come out earlier than you know at the time when maybe you could get a PS4 for a little bit cheaper when the PSVR came out. So maybe maybe that's what would offset some of the cost. But now you're buying a full price PS5, already a very expensive system, and then a full price PS PSVR. Sort of it does add up to like you know it's like a thousand pounds to to really play games that you can play on a £500 device. And it's to play uh, one game, because it's yeah. only one game that's exclusive to this, which is Horizon Call of the Mountain at the yep. moment. Gran Turismo 7 and Resident Evil Village, are not here yet. And I would imagine Resident Evil Village is also going to come to PC, so there's, there's going to be another place for you to play that if you want to. And GT7, I think, is is in that leak to come to PC at some point, whether they pour the, the VR experience over so you can play that on like an Oculus headset or an Index, who's who, who's to say, but I can imagine that they probably will pour that over. I think for me, it feels like PC VR is going to, like uh, allowing this to work for PC is just the inevitable option and the, the inevitable outcome. Put Horizon Call of the Mountain on PC and allow PSVR 2 to work if you want to shift these uh, these headsets, if they're profitable for you to even sell, which I have a hard time believing they're making much on these, mm-hmm. um, then then give give us PC support. I, people hacked PC support onto the PSVR one at the moment. It, it, the Verge plugged this into a, a PC, and if you plug it in, it works as a you can use it as like a monitor because um, it's just USB C, but it doesn't have any of like the other support and stuff. I would imagine the homebrew community is going to go crazy to try and hack support in for this thing. Yeah, I mean, drivers are the big the big thing, right? Um, it needs to sort of recognize it as for what it is, really, for the game to work. But hey, yeah, it could happen. Um, I mean, I mean, before DualShock was officially on the the PC, you could just download a piece of software, and all of a sudden your DualShock would work right. as as normal. So, yeah, I, I think that's going to be, I guess, the interesting wrinkle is if they do open up piece official PC support. Um, maybe maybe they, this thing does find a way to hang on long enough for them to build up a library. Um, but I don't know. Like I, I really would not be surprised if the expectation is let's put this thing out, let's sell as many as we can sell, and we'll support it softly for a few years, and then we'll kind of quietly get out of VR because it's not uh, it's not the exploding industry that we thought it was going to be. Yeah, because back in, back when PSVR came out, that that was near the, the kind of beginning right I don't it was think that was the acquired, beginning i don't think meta had acquired oculus at that no, point not even we close still had, we still had the rift and just oculus rift and that was really the only thing i don't think the index had come out at that point either so it was like the rift or the the psvr and then then meta bought uh oculus the quest flooded the market with these cheap headsets because it was their strategy what was that other one lose money on every single one what was the other one that oh, we was... had the htc vive vibe that, that was the one that was the original the valve, valve one, with. that yeah. was still around yeah 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 because i remember the original like three headsets that launched were oculus vive and and psvr right um yeah and... then microsoft did their own thing as well it was like uh windows mixed reality and they had like a bunch of mixed reality headsets and they partnered with like hp htc and a bunch of other manufacturers i think uh, uh i think lenovo made one as well um they tried like tried their own thing which didn't really take off like the, the only HTC application too. yeah like the only application that's really been good for the vr has been games and even then that's niche 
And I feel, I feel like um, PlayStation probably should have just delayed this launch a little bit until the launch lineup was a little bit better. Yeah, but I don't know. Like, I, I think that's the thing is unless they're willing to invest a lot of money or time into building out more experiences and like sitting on stuff like I just I think that they are realizing that VR is is a failing investment and that it, their best bet is to get it out, make whatever return you can make on it and then move on because I, I don't see them doubling down and supporting it the way that they need to to make it successful because why would they like I just I think it's I think it's going to turn into a money pit if they do, um, because as we've talked about a lot, right, like I just don't think people have the money for a VR headset right now. And I don't think that the I think that VR has proven to not be a destination thing for a lot of people. There is certainly a market there. There's a market that cares about it and that, you know, is going to get excited about new hardware and new software. But I don't think it connected with the mainstream in the way that a lot of developer, like technological developers thought that it would. Um, And I think that until it's better technology, right, where like it doesn't make people sick and there are experiences that feel like they really stand toe to toe with traditional games, which I, I think you're hard pressed to find more than one or two examples of video of VR games that really do match up like that. Um, I just, I just don't see it. You know, I don't see people, um, paying a month's rent to play subpar experiences in VR anymore. Um, I don't think people have the money for yeah, it. Yeah, it shouldn't be a subpar experience. It should be, every experience needs to be on the level of Half-Life Alex or a Horizon Call of the Mountain, or it needs to be a niche that you can't do in a traditional game like a Beat Saber. I, I... Uh, uh, just to like put a pin on it, I kind of liked Gene Park's take on it from his review over at the Washington Post, which was, if you're either a VR fan or curious and you own a PS5, this is probably a good investment for you. But if you don't like VR for its remaining issues, tiring, dizzy, a ritual just to take on and off and set up your space, then PSVR 2 is not for you either. And I feel like that's probably where it's going to end. I don't think many more people are going to see this as, this is my first entry into VR. And if it is, and if this is your first entry into VR and you're really excited about it, then then let us know in the comments. But I think the majority of people buying this thing already had a PSVR or already had a Quest and they're excited to upgrade to something new. Yeah, I I hope that our fears are wrong. Obviously, I want to see everything succeed right i want to see vr be a thriving space because there are a lot of people who really vibe with it uh even though i I tend not to be one of them um but i just i don't know i think the where we're moving right now like i think we're gonna see a lot of like we we talked about in the last couple weeks i think we're gonna see a lot more layoffs i think we're gonna see a lot more companies uh becoming risk averse and i think that um taking a gamble on a VR game is just not a thing that a lot of publishers are going to want to do right now. And I think if you're a independent studio where each release you put out is make or break for your company, I think a lot of those companies are going to move away from VR development because there's just not a big enough market to support your game. Your game needs to be, uh, uh, have an insane attach rate for it to sell enough to really, you know, be worth it, right? Where you could make a more traditional uh, indie game and you know probably keep your studio afloat so i i, I think i think unfortunately uh vr is not moving in a great 
direction right now, and I think PSVR 2 will be just the latest victim of that. But I hope I'm wrong. I really do. All right, Steve, so let's close the show out. Talk to us about Hitman's Freelancer World of Assassination update. Yeah, so uh, IO provided me a code for the PlayStation 5 version of uh, Hitman, previously known as Hitman 3, now known as Hitman World of Assassination. So if you buy Hitman now, you get everything included. If you owned Hitman 3, you now get it all. So if you didn't have the old levels from Hitman 1 and Hitman 2, they'll now be there for you. It'll be rebranded Hitman World of Assassination. And they've also added in a brand new mode, which... I had mixed feelings about, but I'm now madly in love with, called Hitman Freelancer. And basically the gist is that you're out on your own, you're a freelancer hitman, you're no longer part of the organization that Agent 47 works for, and you've got Diana giving you jobs. And it's a roguelike, so you get campaigns, um, and you complete a campaign, and you have to try and get all the way through. You start with nothing in your safe house. You go on a mission, you get have nothing. And every single mission you complete you get money, these like mercies, which is their like mercenary dollars, um, and you'll get money. So for completing a mission, you'll get like $250 for knocking someone off. Um, And then there's also like additional things you can do. So there's like, uh, if you take down guards with an assault rifle, or you poison them with a lethal injection. Now, of course, this is really difficult at the beginning because you don't have any of that stuff because you don't have any money and there's nothing in your safe house. So you acquire all this money and then when you're out and about around town and doing your missions, you can go to the shop. There's a shop there. There's someone that's like a black market trader in arms and um, in arms and gear and you can buy stuff off them and that will then go back to your safe house and will be there. And you can use it if you complete the mission and you take it back with you, it will stay in your safe house. Now, you can lose that if you fail the campaign. Your gear will be wiped, your guns will remain, uh, or all of your weapons will remain. And as you complete more and more, you unlock more areas of the safe house. So you'll unlock like uh, an area where you can get clothes, so you can choose which suit you go on a mission in. You'll unlock an upstairs area where he's got like a, a kitchen and you can like take bananas and wine bottles on missions with you and things. And there's like for each mission you do, there's there's a specific amount of gear you can take. Each item's assigned like a, a certain number of slots, like one, two or three. Um, so you can you have to like uh, strategically choose what you're going to take based on what the campaigns told you you want to do. So it might say, oh, you need to poison someone as one of the special ta- special like missions. So you might want to take your poison with you. Or it might say you need to attack someone with a sniper rifle. Sniper rifle. So you want to take a sniper rifle with you. Um, there are eight campaigns to choose from every single time. They're completely randomized. Um, you can pick which one you want, and then you go on the campaign. You have to complete three levels at a time, four levels at a time, five levels at a time, and then six levels at a time to fully Damn. complete it. I've completed the I've completed the four levels one, and then I died, and I was really mad that I died because I lost like uh, I lost a lockpick. I lost a legendary explosive duck and some other stuff. I was really <laughs> mad, really mad. <laughs> I lost it all. Uh, but it's just really cool. And you kind of have to like reprogram how you, the way you played Hitman because um, there's no consequences for killing guards or things like that if they're attacking you. Uh, you cannot, one big fundamental change to, to Hitman is you cannot save at all while you're in the middle of a level. Okay. So 
uh, rather than what you maybe did when you played Hitman, which I think everyone did, which is you save before you do something that's potentially reckless, so you can then reload if something fucks up. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't do that. You really sure. just have to shoot your way out of the hole. Um, and obviously, if you die, you lose everything. Uh, you'll lose half your money. You'll end up in the infirmary, um, and you'll have Diana saying, like, oh, welcome back. Now, you can fail one mission in each like section of the campaign, so the three, three missions, the four missions, the five missions. Uh, but if you fail that mission then the missions following that are even more difficult because they've okay. been alerted to the fact cool. that you're on, on to them. And so then when you get to the final one, if they've been alerted, there are four suspects and you have to, it's like a game of guess who she'll be like, there are, they're, they're here for a secret meeting. They're wearing glasses. They have black hair. They have uh, a hat on and they and they have a tattoo and you have a camera and you have to like figure out which one the suspect is and then kill them. Uh, but the one thing you can do is just like knock them out, steal their phone and arrange a meeting with all of them and then just blow them all up if you wanted to, which is, <laughs> which is really fun. That is clever. Um, and they've also like made it even more difficult because they've put assassins in the level, lookouts in the levels. So there might be like a, it just looks like a normal gardener, but he'll notice it's agent 47 and then he'll just suddenly start shooting you and you have, nice. and you have no fucking clue why he's doing it. Uh, but it's really, really fun. If you've got Hitman 3, you've got Hitman Freelancer, and you've got Hitman World of Assassination. Um, and I just wanted to to give some thoughts on it. And um, thanks again to IO for sending over the code. It's, it's really, really good fun. I think you'd really like it, Pete. I am really, really excited. Um, you've been trying to sell me on on Hitman for for years, and it's like I've always been interested in it. I bought a copy of it at one point and just <laughs> never, like, never really took the plunge. Um but I, I, I love immersive sims, right? Like, I've talked a lot about my love for Dishonored, and, like, a big part of what I like about it is, like, solving puzzles like that and being like, okay, I'm loose in this space. Like, what can I interact with and how can I, you know, find the fun each run and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Um, this sounds brilliant. Like, this sounds like a really smart um, evolution of the formula, right? Because not only is it giving people who've already played through all the main content, like, new content and a reason to come back, it's like a totally new way to play, you know, like it being like a, a very different game mode is really cool. And I think it speaks to just how how absolutely creative uh, the folks over at, at, at IOR, um, you know, even as as somebody who's not ever really like taken uh, the the jump into Hitman, like I've always respected the the level of thought that they put into how they they not only the way they make games, but the way that they release them and support them and like the fact that yeah i mean their releases have always been a bit weird like there's always been something about every single one like the first hitman of this this like trilogy it was like episodic right weird the yeah second one it was yeah. like then then it was like there's this always online thing but then it's sort of if you bought hitman one and hitman two you had to get these like access passes from their website and then you could like put a code in and get like the levels they've simplified it now which i like it's like if you didn't have hitman before you can just go and buy Hitman World of Assassination and you'll get everything. And I really like that. There's a deluxe version which gives you um, some like additional things you can put in your safe house like uh, when you decorate it because you get to decorate your safe house um, as you like unlock more and more things, which is really cool. But yeah, it's like I, I could not believe this was a free update. It feels like I get that it uses the same levels and things, but they've put so much effort into constructing the safe house into getting new voice dialogue into 
adding in shops, adding in new models, adding in like a whole new way to play the game. And the fact that it's free, what, five years after launch? I think Hitman was 20, Hitman 3 was 2018. Yeah, um, I think that's right. It's it's absolutely insane to me yeah. that they just are still supporting this game. And this kind of gives it legs f- like forever because, yeah, we've had the elusive targets, which are similar to this in that you have one target, you don't know who it is, you can't save, and you get one shot at it. Um, and you have the player-created contracts, which are really fun. Um, my favorite ones of the player-created contracts are just the kill everyone on the level and everyone is a target, and you can just go absolutely. <laughs> absolutely mental and just like shoot everyone <laughs> shoot everyone um and you get so much xp for doing that by the way if you're trying to like, level up that's a good way of of boosting your xp but hitman freelancer is so unique compared to those other modes it like boots you into this safe house and everything's done within there and it's like interactive how you move around the space to pick out your guns from like this wall of guns that you slowly build out it's really cool i'm having such a good time with it yeah, I just I think it's such a smart way to to do games as a service, but for single player games, where it's like Hitman as a product has like constantly been evolving, and like you know, like you said, whether it's the way they released it or the way that they've built on what's come before, and it's just uh, yeah, it's very unique. It's a very unique game um, in a lot of ways. You know, I think between its monetization model and and just the way that they think about content and like the fact that like. I think the reason that it's probably had such longevity is because like the later you buy it, the more valuable it is, right? Like if you did buy it in 2018, like you could still be playing new content coming out now, like Steve, but like, if you are like me or max and you've like thought about it and now you look at this and you're like, Oh, well maybe now's the right time finally. Right. And it's, it's all there. It's all there. And like, and if you're playing it on Xbox, right? Like it's, it's up resed and it's, playing at 60 fps and it looks like a new game anyway you know well yeah because the great thing about it was all of this stuff like all of those levels got pulled into the new engines and like right. there is like yeah. a native ps5 and series x version of the game and they've also got a vr mode which is cool so if you have playstation vr or you have pc vr oh, yeah i forgot I about really that. really want to try it like being able to play hitman in in vr and just like knocking people out shooting them um, I think it would be so fun. But I just, I love the fact that they've simplified everything. It's like, go by Hitman, you get all of Hitman now. I feel like it's a real kind of cherry on top of, of Hitman. We're done with it. We're moving on to James Bond. Here's here's everything. Go and enjoy it. Here's a new mode. And kind of we're, we're done with it. And it's like a real kind of just showpiece for them to, yeah. to give Agent 47 his last outing. For now. Yeah. For now, yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm sure they'll come back to it at some point. Um, and they'll reinvent the wheel all over again. <laughs> um, but yeah, thanks again, IO Interactive for the code. Uh, really appreciate it. Steve's been a big fan for years, so super cool um, that we get to talk about it here today. Um, and I got to say, I really hope I find the time for this one, finally, because it just really sounds like it's so my shit. Like, and I really think I would get lost in it a little bit. Um, mm. And I want to. <laughs> Not enough immersive Sims for my taste. Hmm. Um, but all right, we're going to wrap it up there for the day. Uh, so if you guys want to uh, write in and let us know what you think about any of the stuff we talked about on today's show, remember, flipscreen.games is our website where you can find links to our email address. You can come join the Discord. You can write in for next week's question block. Hey, I know a bunch of you did. Don't, for- don't worry about it. We're going to hold on to them for next week. 
If we get a couple more, maybe we'll do like a nice question uh, block centric episode. So make sure you're right in for next week's show because we already got a couple real good ones that I'm looking forward to jumping into next week. Uh, but of course, there's a bunch of other ways you can show your support. Flipscreen.games. You'll find links to the Patreon. You'll find links to all the other places that we are all over the web. However, you choose to get involved. We thank you for tuning into this week's episode of the Flipscreen Games podcast for the crew. I've been Pete. He's been Steve. He's been Nat. Max. He's been Knack. He's been Knack. The PlayStation 4 platformer Knack over there. Uh, We'll see you next week.